Hey there and welcome to the Duncan Pentecostal Church podcast streaming from Vancouver Island here in Canada. And however you have found our podcast, we're so glad you're here. Before we jump into today's message, just a couple things I want to let you know. If you go to our website, www.duncanchurch.com, you're going to find a couple easy ways where you can connect with us. We have an online connect card you can fill out. Maybe let us know where you're listening from and check off the option to receive our what's happening email we send this out once a week it's a great way to stay connected with everything that's going on here at the church and even online apart from that there is a give button so if you're feeling led you can do that right online through our website you can also find us on facebook and youtube we are so glad you're tuning in and we are believing that god's going to do something special in you through today's message enjoy But what I want to start off this morning is I want to look this morning, first of all, at a brief history of tithing. That's where I want to start this morning. A brief history of tithing. Um, what, is, what is a tithe, I guess, is where I should start. Um, tithe. T- tithe is not a four-letter word. Some people think it is a four-letter word. Um, but tithe is actually five letters. And, uh, and it was not invented by pastors or churches to try to get your money. All right? It, that's not what it's about. Where do you think it originated? Where should we go to look if we want to talk about the tithe? Oh, you guys are too good. You've heard me talk about some of this before. Most people would say the Old Testament or the law, wouldn't they? That's what we think. Let's go, go to the law. That's where the law... Well, the fact is, and we're going to talk about the first mention of the tithe in the Bible. Before the law was ever given, you see the, the principle, what's known as the principle of first mention, it's an important thing whenever studying anything in Scripture. It gives you insight into uh, the topic, a key to the understanding of it. And the word tithe is first mentioned in, as some of you already mentioned this morning, you guys are so smart, Genesis chapter 14. Um, Depending on your translation, the word is either tenth or tithe, because that's purely what tithe means. Tithe means tenth. It's like 10%. So if you were to give a tithe on $100, it would be $10. Okay, so that's what a tithe means. It's a tenth or tithe. They're interchangeable in the Hebrew. Uh, the, The Hebrew word is the same word for tithe or tenth. A little background to Genesis chapter 14. God calls this man named Abram. Okay, he starts out as Abram. He lives in a a land called Ur. And God calls him out of this land to go to a new land, which would become the land of Canaan, the promised land, and to become a new people, a new nation, which would become the nation of Israel. And God calls Abraham to go. He leaves with his wife, Sarai. So, sorry, I said Abraham. His name is actually Abram at this point. Um, And then his wife's name is Sarai. Interesting, just as a, this is a free side, um, uh, what God does, some of you would know this if you're with us through the book of Genesis, is Abram becomes who? Abraham, and Sarai becomes Sarah. Do, what do you add to each of those names to create the new name? From Abram, what, yeah, say it, H. And you know the H, the, the H in the Hebrew alphabet represents grace. Is that interesting? God inputs grace into their lives, changes their lives. That's exactly what God does. And he takes these people and he says, I want you to go to this new land, become a new people. And so Abram goes, I might call him Abraham from time to time just because that's who he became. But anyway, Abram, Abraham, he goes to this new land with his wife, Sarah, or Sarai at the point, and his nephew, Lot. So the three of them begin to journey out to this land and they become very prosperous. God blesses them as they go. In fact, they become so prosperous that, that Lot and Abraham have so much um, of, of their, their, they've got herds 
um, that there, there are people, they become so, they multiply so much that there's not enough space for them in the land that they're in at that moment. And so what, what Abraham says is, says to Lot, his nephew, he says, you choose wherever you want to go and I will go the opposite direction. You, you take wherever you want. And so Lot chooses the area of what's known as Sodom and Gomorrah, which if you're aware of Sodom and Gomorrah, they were very evil and wicked cities. But that's where Lot chooses to go. He saw that the land was very fertile around there. And so he takes his herds and his people and he goes there and Abraham goes the other direction. Well, 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 Lot is living in Sodom and Gomorrah, there's a battle that breaks out between the confederations of two different kings. So there's a confederation of five kings versus a confederation of four kings. I almost did two. Four kings. Five versus four kings. This battle breaks out and in the five king confederation are the kings of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah. And they battle these other four kings who's led by this, this king we'll find his name is Ketolaramar. And he's the kind of leader of these four kings that are attacking. What happens in this is that the five kings lose. They lose in the battle, which means that the four kings, they go and they take the possessions, the people, the loot, everything of the cities, and they take it away. They're captured. Well, that included, of course, Lot, who was living in Sodom and Gomorrah. But one of Lot's servants was able to get away and escape, and he goes and he finds Abram, and he says to him, he says, hey, your nephew Lot needs your help. He's been captured. This whole thing's gone on. So Abram goes, okay, well, I've got to go help my nephew. So he takes with him, he's at this point, he's grown, he's, he's become very, he's multiplied, he's grown extremely, his household, I should say, doesn't have any kids yet, but he has grown with his people and his servants. He's got 318 fighting men. So he's got a fair amount of, fair amount of guys with him. He goes and he chases down these people. Don't forget now, it's not just four kings, like individual kings, like, you know, with just a crown and a sword. These, these would be four kingdoms. And so Abraham, with his 318 men, goes and battles these, these four kings, defeats them, and gets back all the people, all the stuff. He gets back everything. And here's where we'll pick up in verse 17 of chapter 14 of Genesis. It says, After Abram returned from defeating Ketolaramar and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shava. That is the king's valley. So the king of Sodom ran off somewhere and was licking his wounds, he hears that, that the four kings have been defeated and he hears about it. He comes to meet Abram and say, listen, hey, thank you for what you're doing. Right? He comes to basically thank Abram and he comes to get all his people back, his stuff back. But here, there's someone else now that shows up next. Look at the next verse, verse 18. It says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Obviously, it was a God thing. 318 men versus four kingdoms. That's a God thing. That's just, and so he, rec- he said, you need to recognize that God did this. Look at what Abraham does next. Then Abram gave him a what? A tenth, or what your translations might say, a tithe of everything. And so we need to establish a couple things here. Who is this Melchizedek guy? And why does Abraham do this? Well, Melchizedek, his name literally means, translated means, king of righteousness. That's what his name means. We're told in this passage that he is the king of where? Salem. Do you know what Salem means in Hebrew? It means peace. He's the king of righteousness and the king of peace. Interesting. He also gives Abraham something in verse 18, something specific. Do you remember what he brought him? Bread and wine. Where have I heard that before? Isn't that kind of interesting? Yeah, you guys know the answer at DPC. 
right? So he brings out bread and wine. We're also told in verse 18 that he's the priest of God most high. The New Testament book of Hebrews, which we finished studying probably a couple years ago now, says that he has no beginning and no end. Melchizedek has no beginning and no... Who is this guy? Oh, you guys are so good. You know the answer here at DPC. is always going to be Jesus. You know what? Yeah, the majority of scholars, the vast majority of scholars, and I fully agree with them, say this is Jesus. This is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Before Jesus came as the babe of Bethlehem, when I say the babe of Bethlehem, I don't mean some hot guy of Bethlehem. We, we celebrated the baby Jesus that, you know, Christ coming. The incarnation simply means God taking on flesh. And so this is a pre-incarnate, pre-taking on flesh, take on, on, uh, coming as the baby born in that manger that we just remembered. He appeared numerous times in the Old Testament. These are pre-incarnate appearances that Jesus had. And here's the interesting thing. What does this Melchizedek, who we would agree most likely is Jesus, say? In verse 19 to 20, he says, God has done this. Abram, God has given you the victory. God has delivered all these armies into your hands. And what did Abraham do? Gave him a tithe. A tenth gives him 10% of everything that he had received. Now read on in verse 21, the next verse. This is what it says. Then the king, sorry, the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. It says basically you can have all the money. You can have all the possessions. I mean, can you imagine how much stuff Abraham would have at that point? All the loot it says you can have all, I mean, quite the offer. But what does Abram say? Look at the next verse. But Abram said, verse 22, But Abram said to the king of Sodom, With raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth. Interesting, he calls this man that he just gave the tithe to God, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me, to Anor, Eshkol, and Mamre. Let them have their share. Isn't this wild? He says, not a thread, not even a strap of a sandal do I want to receive from you, lest you take any credit for what God has given me, for what God has done in my life. Notice, this is the first time that tithes are mentioned in the Bible. Before the law is ever given, this is the first time that tithing is mentioned. And what happens? Notice what happens after Abraham gives a tithe. What happens? He's able to look at the king of Sodom who offers him all this stuff, everything you could imagine, all these possessions. And what does he say? I don't want any of it. He says, I don't even want a thread, not even the strap of a sandal. Can you imagine being offered Lamborghinis, houses, everything else, and saying, I don't want any of it? None of it. Really? Are you crazy? I don't need it. I don't want it. That's what, that's what tithing does. So many people, so many of us in this world are chasing, in a sense, the king of Sodom and what he offers, going deeper into debt, thinking that it will bring some sort of joy or meaning or fulfillment to our lives, some purpose. But how do you know this, that it only lasts a minute? Because how, we've all indulged and got that thing that we were saving up for forever, and we finally got it. It was all shiny and new. And then what happens after a week or a month, or maybe it's two years before it finally hits, and you're kind of like, it's kind of lost its luster. Do you know what I'm talking about? We've all had what we call buyer's regret or buyer's remorse. Right? You've experienced that before. Why did I waste my money on this thing? This is one of the benefits of tithing, is that it brings freedom from the grip of the world in our life, from the appetite for, for what the world offers us. 
It breaks our addiction to the world, to stuff. Being generous, giving, tithing, it breaks that grip. You know, I've mentioned before how Andrea sometimes would practice. If somebody would say to her, oh, I really like whatever it is. I like that watch. Oh, okay. And she will just give them the watch. Or, or she'll, like, I like that purse. Oh, okay, I'll give it. And she just gives away the purse. All these people are going to be asking her, I really like your clothes. I like your glasses. <laughs> In fact, I, I mentioned this before one time, and Lenita Beaumont, after the service, said, you know, Andrea, I really like your house. The Lord didn't tell us to give that one away, thankfully. But just look, like, how it, it the reason she does it, because it breaks that addiction to stuff, the grip that it has over our lives, when we can be generous. And that's what tithing does. Look at individually, look at nationally, how much debt we are in, and how unsatisfied we are. Think about it. Everyone just needs more, more, more. So that's the first mention of tithing in the Old Testament. It's not in the law. <laughs> But I want to actually look at the last mention of tithe in the Old Testament. And that's found in the last book of the Old Testament, in the prophet Malachi. Chapter 3, verses 6 to 9 is where we'll start. He says this, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. You're not consumed. You should be dead, but I have mercy and grace. You're alive. He says, From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, How shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed God? What does God say? In your what? Your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me the whole nation of you. God declares that the first tenth, the first ten percent of everything that, that was to come Israel's way was to go his way, to be God's. And we need to understand this is, this is kind of Maybe difficult for us to understand, but it's, it's not mine to give, the tithe. It isn't. It isn't. It isn't mine to give, but it is mine to steal. It's mine to steal. God claims the tithe. It's actually his. It's not ours. And when Israel didn't tithe, what did God actually say that they were doing? They were actually robbing God. You know, we don't pass around the offering plate or, or, or bag anymore, but it was, it's as if as it's going by, you just, oh, hang on, and you just take some money out of it. Ten... 30, 50, and put it in your pocket. Okay, you can keep it moving. Would we ever do something like that? Would people be like, what are you doing? Oh, I got, I'm going out for lunch. I need some money. Right? It's like, you would never do something like that. That's what God says when you don't tithe. That's crazy. Now, why would God claim this 10%? There's a lot of different reasons, but let's keep reading in Malachi what he says next. He goes on in the next verses. He says this, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not bail, uh, fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. So in verse six to nine, we read that that Israel was actually cursed at this point because they had been robbing God because they hadn't tithed. But God says here, but if you tithe, in fact, he says, he doesn't just say if you tithe, he says, in fact, test me in this. You know this. If you've read the Bible at all, that we are never to put the Lord our God to the test. Very clear in scripture, do not test God. Except for this one thing. Isn't this interesting? God says, test me in this. The only time he'll ever tell you, test me. And that was when it comes to tithing. 
Why does he want us to test him this? Well, so that he can look at verse 10. What did verse 10 say? So he can pour out blessings to meet all the need. He says, create space in your life. That's what we do when we tithe. We create space for God to then pour in blessing. We open up room in our box of our life to pour in blessing. In verse 11, he said, so that I can also rebuke the devourer. He'll be our defense when everyone and everything else is being devoured. He says, you'll be okay. In verse 12, he says, I want to bless you so much that the world will notice. They will call you blessed. They'll say, what is up with you? It doesn't make sense. Who's on your side? What's going on? You'll be blessed. And I cannot tell you how many times people have said to, to Andrew and to myself, how do you get all the deals? How do you get all those deals? I've, we've literally heard people say the favor when it comes in relation to like, like the generosity of God in life, they're like, the, it's so obvious the favor and blessing of God is on your life. And I don't want to boast or brag about it, but it is true, and I have to give glory to God for that. It kind of shocks us. It kind of blows us away, but we have just been, we've just said we're going to commit to this, that we are going to tithe. We're going to be generous. And as we've done that, we have seen God's faithfulness in our lives to the point where it's like we don't even just want to tithe anymore. We go above and beyond that. It's fun. It becomes fun, honestly, to just be generous and to be able to pour the gifts of God into other people's lives. It's not just for us to amass that God wants to bless us but so that we can bless others. And you might be hearing me speak this morning. You might be like, well, hang on, Peter. This is all, this is all law stuff, though, though. This is all Old Testament even. Maybe not just law, but Old Testament. And I thought we're kind of set free from that. Well, if we look at the law, actually, I, I want to briefly tell you what the law teaches about a tithe. In the Mosaic law, there was the tithe. Moses did tell us this is what, how you have to tithe. First of all, there was a yearly or, or Levitical priesthood tithe. This was 10% every year. Leviticus, uh, Leviticus 27. I think I have these for us, Joby. There should be on the screen. Leviticus 27, Numbers 18, other places all mention this tithe. Every year, 10% was to be given. This was 10% uh, off the top of everything you received. If it was money, it would be 10% of that. If it was your herds that you raised up, 10% was to be Everything you had of, of food that you grew, anything was to be given. Given to God for the priests. Now, there was also in the law a yearly feast and festival tithe of 10%. Deuteronomy 12 tells us about this. Uh, this was to provide for the different feasts uh, that, that Israel would have, the Feast of Tabernacles and Passover, and, uh, the Feast of Booths, all these different things, Pentecost. It was, kind of like, it was kind of like money for the party planning committee so that they could throw these parties. That's essentially what it was. That's, that's, that's how it worked. And so that they, they had the ability to have these incredible feasts and parties to remember the goodness of God. So you're now at 20% in the law. Then every third year, they were told to tithe to provide for the poor and the orphan and the widow. Deuteronomy 12 and 14 speak of this. So 20% so every year plus 10% every third year. Well, you know what that equals. 23.33333333333%. That's actually tithe in the law. It's closer to 24%. Now, how many of you are like, oh, thank God Abraham established tithing before the law came into place, right? So I want to talk now, though, about the New Testament, about Jesus, about fulfilling the law, about tithing now. What does it look like? Because Jesus, well, he fulfilled the law. What did he say about tithing? What did he say about giving 10%? Jesus mentions the word tithe only twice in his teaching. And both times that Jesus talks about the tithe, he uses it in reference to the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders of Israel. 
the first time he mentions the tithe is he talks about how they brag about their fasting and their tithing. They boast that, in fact, when they go to give, so like on a Sunday morning when we'd be giving, it would be like whoever's giving the most would sound a horn. And everyone would be like, oh, and they look over, oh, they're giving an awful lot today, right? And they would bring in their big bags and, you know, we'd get like our $20 bill made into pennies so that it like takes, you know, like you hear all the money going in, right? That's what they would do. They would boast and brag about it. Look at me. Look at how much I'm giving to God. And Jesus said of that, he said, that's not cool. (laughs) Don't do that. So that was the one instance. The second time he talks about it is in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. And he says this to the Pharisees. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. He's saying you you focused on the wrong thing. There's bigger issues than yourself. You're great at counting out one grain for God, nine grains for me. One grain for God, nine grains for me. You're great at doing that. That's what Jesus is saying. But we're not just to be about ourselves, are we? We're supposed to be about others. And here's the thing. Tithing is not about others. Do you know who tithing is about? You. Tithing is about me. You see, when I tithe, we read this in Malachi. What does it do? It protects me. It blesses me. In fact, when you don't tithe, do you know who misses out? You. It's not God that misses out or the church or whoever else loses out. You lose out when you don't tithe. Malachi showed us that. It blesses and it protects me. But Jesus says there's something else that you've forgotten about, justice and mercy and faithfulness. And what does that relate to? That's how you treat others. And Jesus says that is what your life is to be about, is others. You're not just to focus on you. Don't forget about the others. There's bigger issues than just you. And so what does Jesus go on to say? Matthew 23, the rest of verse 23 says this. So you tithe your, your mint and your dill and your cumin and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Look what he says next. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. He says the more important thing is the others. The others. The justice, the mercy, the faithfulness. Make sure you're taking care of others. But do you notice that he said, don't neglect the other thing too, the tithe. Don't neglect your tithes. Do both, Jesus says. It's not either or. It's not like, well, I can only only extend justice, mercy, and faithfulness to other people or I can tithe. I can only do one or the other. Jesus says, no, you can do both. You make sure you take care of others, but he says you make sure you also take care of yourself. Take care of your family. Take care of the, the needs in your own life as well. But you make sure that others are the priority. It's not either or, it's both and. And leaving the tithe undone actually affects me. It affects my family. Now, although Jesus only mentioned the word tithe twice, Jesus and the New Testament is not silent on money. In fact, one-sixth, one-sixth of all the recorded words of Jesus relate to money in some way. And in fact, in the New Testament, more than any other topic, one in ten verses are, again, about money in some way. That's a lot. Now, we don't have time, obviously, to look at all of them this morning because we're only doing this as a one-off message, but this is the general direction of Jesus and the New Testament when it comes to money. The first I would say is this. Number one, I would say the first is tithe. Yes, don't neglect the tithe. I believe that Jesus affirmed the tithe in Matthew 23, 23. But here's the thing. It is not the ceiling we aspire to it is the floor we begin at. It's the floor we begin at. Not the, it's, it's not that we're trying to get to, you know, okay, I'm going to start at 1% and eventually get to 10. 
I believe it's the starting point. It's the floor. It's where we get started. It is kind of, I find it kind of funny that, that Christians would say we're free of the law. We don't hold to the, we don't, we're not bound by the law. But we will gladly hold to the law in one area. And that's the tithe. So we think we're holding to the law in the one area. 10%. But it's the, 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 we just saw the law actually said it was actually about closer to 24%. But don't you find it, kind of, I find it kind of funny. It's like, oh, hold, I'm free of the law, but I'll hold to this one area. And I don't think that the tithe, I think the tithe is not something we try to get to. I think it's the, the base point. I think it's a starting point for us. You know, the general idea often is, is it's like God gets 10% and I get 90. Right? Right? I get the rest. It's all mine. And, and so we don't want to hold to anything else of the law except for the one thing, the 10%. I can handle that. I want to just, right now, I want to tell you this. I don't believe that we are bound by the law. I, I don't believe that we're bound. We don't, we're not bound by the law or, or by the tithe, that we have to do that. We don't have to tithe. But I do believe it's the starting point. That if we are to become more like Jesus, to be generous because he is so generous, tithing is kind of the beginning. It's kind of like the training wheels to get us started. And if you start at 10%, honestly, you're going to see the faithfulness of God, that you can trust him, and you'll want to go beyond 10% as the Holy Spirit leads you because you know what? You can never outgive God. And the second thing I say is this. It's not just about 10% in the New Testament. This is where it gets kind of humorous as we kind of go 10's God's and 90's mine because under the New Covenant... It's all God's. <laughs> you were like, 23.3% in the law. Woo, pfft, that's not fun. Well, come to the new covenant. Welcome to the new covenant where all of it's his. 100% of it belongs to God. Not just 10. It's not 10% his, 90 is mine. It's all his. And we are now called just to be stewards of it. Do you know how many times in the New Testament Jesus instructed individuals, disciples, and multitudes to give up everything? We think it was always just the disciples. No, he, many different people. Give it up. Give it up to follow me. The call of any disciple is to be willing to give up everything to follow Christ. You see, now we are led by his spirit. We basically now, we have a different mindset. Now we say, okay, God, how do you want me to spend your money? If 100% of what I have is God's, it changes everything of how we treat it. It's all his, which is beautiful too. You've heard me share about this before. Can, you can let the worry and the stress of money go because all of a sudden, well, that car that breaks down is God's car. And it's his responsibility if he wants to keep paying to have it fixed with his money. Right? Whatever it is, your hot water tank goes. Okay, God, well, if you want to fix your hot water tank with your money, I would have chosen other things to spend the money on, but whatever. That's, you know, do you know what I'm saying? And you can let the worry and the stress of it go. It's so clear. Matthew 6, again, this chapter, Matthew 6 is fabulous. We should all memorize it as a church. 2024 goal. Fabulous, fabulous chapter of scripture. Three, he talks about the space makers. He talks about uh, all these incredible things about seeking God's kingdom and, and, and all these incredible, it's an incredible passage of scripture. In that passage, he talks about not worrying about your life, what you'll eat or drink, right? Or about your clothes, what you will wear. Why? Because God takes care of you. And he, he, he talks about the, the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you gonna go hungry? no. And, and your clothing. He's like, well, look at the lilies of the field. You know, they don't labor or spin. They, yet not one, yet not, Solomon was not dressed even as great as one of them, he says. Well, God not clothe you? Like, oh, you have little faith, he says. Trust me, he says, but seek first his kingdom. Make the priority of your life his kingdom. Be a steward of his stuff for him. And you don't need to worry, is, is what he says. 
The only thing I would say is just a, a little word of caution about stewardship. The Pharisees used it as a bit of an excuse. We talked about this, I think it was in Matthew that we talked about. They used something, remember it was called Korban. And they would dedicate certain things to God. And it would be like parents even would come to them for help. Parents would be like, hey, son or daughter, that's a Pharisee. I guess it would be sons, but anyway. Uh, they'd go to the, the Pharisee and they'd be like, hey, I, I need this or whatever. And they'd be like, I would love to help you, mom, but ah, I dedicated that to God. And it's now his. I'm stewarding it. I'm keeping care of it for God. It's dedicated to him. And so it was a way that they got around helping other people and being generous. We can do the same thing sometimes with our own stewardship. And, and I have the, the, the shame of telling you about my stewardship excuse when I was in Bible school. Maybe I've shared this before. I had my guitar, which inadvertently I just realized as I was preaching through the message this morning at home, I always go over it and I was like, oh yeah, my parents bought me that guitar. I didn't even buy it. My parents bought me this guitar in my last year of Bible school. It's the same one I have now. It's a guild. It was a nice guitar. And, and it was my shiny new guitar. And I, oh, it was lovely. Um, and I had one particular friend in the dorm that would always come into my room and want to play my guitar. God's guitar, actually. God's guitar. And so, um, so he'd come in and he'd just start playing it all the time. And, and I just, it bothered me. Because, you know, I, it was going to get worn out. And, you know, I, and so I, I said to him one time when he came in, I thought, oh, this is, this, is, this, this is how it works. I said, you know, God blessed me with that guitar. And um, he has, he's given it to me to be a steward of it for him. And I need to treat it really well. And I think the less you said it gets, it's probably the better. And he kind of looks at me like, I think he left the room in anger. And I was like, it kind of showed me, I'm like, I'm an idiot. That was really dumb. So don't try to pull that excuse of like, well, I'm stewarding this for God. So therefore, because that's not the heart of God, is it? That's not the God that we serve. God would have gladly said, yes, let them, let them use that guitar. Let them use it. Because here's the thing. New Testament tithing and generosity, number three, is a response to God's grace in our lives. 2 Corinthians 8 talks about this, that the root of our giving, the basis for why we give is because of how God has treated us. Because God is gracious and compassionate and full of mercy toward us and loving toward us and generous toward us, we give. That's why because of how God has treated us. How can we not respond in that kind of a way after all that he's done for us? It, 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 that has to be the heart behind it. I had to learn that about my guitar, my pretty guitar, which thankfully I did because when I came to pastor with Dave in Comox, not long after pastoring there, God had spoken to me about that and dealt with me, um, and I started to let the youth play my guitar. I let, yeah, I let anyone use my guitar, yeah. Nicole's like, wow, you're crazy. And, and I remember this one particular time, we were, we were, uh, it was on the stage upstairs, and, um, and we, were, we were jamming, playing, having some fun, and I don't remember when it was exactly, but one of the youth walked past, and he knocked the microphone stand over, and um, these microphones are called Shure SM58s, and if you take my guitar, there is the perfect imprint on the top of my guitar of an SM58 microphone, as it fell straight into my guitar that, um, that I was like, oh, whatever, it's God's guitar. Actually, I didn't react. I didn't get angry. The youth was like, oh, you know, he's all freaked out. I'm like, it's okay. It's not a big deal, right? Whereas before, I might have been like, that's God's guitar. You just wrecked him. He's going to be after you. You're going to, you know, kind of, you know, called on fire from heaven or something. But here's the thing. Because I want to be more like God and I want to look more like Jesus, therefore I give. Think about it. Even if you think about our love that we extend to others, why do we love? You know why we love. Because he first loved us. That's what 1 John tells us. John 3, 16. 
we serve a God that is loving and giving. For God so loved the world that he, he gave. And so if we are to be lovers of the world as well, of the people in the world, we need to be givers as well, just like God. That's the root of our giving, is because of how God has responded to us and treated us. Fourth, New Testament tithing and giving is because we belong to an upside-down kingdom. Upside-down kingdom. In other words, the kingdom of God is not like the kingdom of this world. It makes no sense. It doesn't, it doesn't, the same applications don't work. The same formulas don't work with the kingdom of God as with the kingdom of the world. And because we're in this upside-down kingdom, in order to get in the kingdom of God, you've got to give. That makes no sense, right? Not many investment planners out there probably are going to tell you that. How, I need to make more money this year. Okay, let's look at your finances. Okay, yeah, yeah. Give, give a whole bunch of that away there. Give a bunch of that. You'd be like, what? What are you talking about? That's what, that's, what, that's what we're told though. Look at Luke 6, verse 38. Jesus said this. He said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. We've already established and talked about this morning how we are to be about others. We're not to be just about ourselves. We're to be generous with what God has blessed us with. And as a result, what, is, what does he do? As we're generous with others, you know what God does? He pours more into your lap. As you give, it gets given back. How many of you ever heard of girl math? Oh, some of you are going, uh-oh. Girl math. You know what girl math is? Girl math. I was having a conversation with my wife and daughter yesterday on FaceTime, and I was trying to pay Rebecca, my daughter, not to dye her hair because um, it cost her a ton of money. And I was like, Rebecca, I will pay you if you don't dye your hair. Really? Well, how much? And then she comes up with this number, and I'm like, are you crazy? She's like, well, yeah, it's double what it would cost me to get my hair dyed because if you gave me money to dye my hair, then I would just go dye my hair. And I'm like, no, you're not, you're not making any sense. You don't understand. You're going to get money if you don't dye your hair. You're just going to make it. You don't, you don't spend any money either. Like, like she, it wasn't calculating. It's kind of like the other part of girl math is when, when they return something to the store, you return something to the store, and then it's like, oh, I got these other items. I didn't pay for them. They were free. That, that's, that's how they talk about girl math. It's this kind of funny thing right now. Anyway, it, don't worry. Men do it too. I'm not picking on women right now. But there's something called God math. There's something called God math, and it works this way. Give, and it will be given to you. That makes no sense. That doesn't compute in the ways of this world. But he says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. It'll be pressed down. It'll be shaken up and running over, he says. I learned this years ago from a lady named Mama Maria, who was um, at a church in Surrey that we started uh, at serving at. And she gave a perfect example. She says, you know, when, when you take nothing, what does God have to work with? Nothing. And in this illustration, she said, so, so you give nothing to God. God takes nothing. He presses nothing down. Right? He shakes nothing up, and nothing <laughs> comes out. But she said, but like the widow's might, that widow that had just two pennies, that all she had left, she took those two pennies, you put those two pennies in, what does God do? Oh, there's something for me to work with. And what does he begin to do? He begins to press it down. He says, good measure, press down. It's like, like how many of you have done baking before? Okay, six of us have baked. When you bake and you take brown sugar and you squish it down, right? Or, or, or I love, I love at our house, we have these things called Kodiak cakes, which I won't be eating for the next three weeks because we're not eating any processed stuff. And they're these high-protein pancakes. And we have a jar, and Andrea always leaves me the rest of the bag because it doesn't fit in the jar. And you know what my goal is? To get it all in the jar. And I take it on the counter, and I just... And it starts going down, 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 down. And I keep pouring it in. 
and I keep pouring it in, and I can get that whole bag into the jar when there's like a whole bunch of it left. And that's what God does. He takes the, 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 whatever little you give even, and he takes that and he begins to press it down. And then he begins to shake it, Whoa, and it just begins to pour all over you all these blessings with the measure that you use. That's how tithing, that's how, that's how generosity works, is that we create space that opens up room for God to begin to, to push down and to press down and to work with what we've given him for multiplication. God's a God not just of addition, God's a God of multiplication, which is an incredible thing too. And it's also that you can bless others. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. The reality is, is that God knows who to bless. He truly does. I mean, time and again, <clears throat> Andrew and I have received blessings from people, have helped us in all these incredible times in our lives when we were maybe struggling financially in different things. And I remember, you know, people that, that we would consider maybe to be really rich in our eyes. They didn't live in a mansion, but they had nice cars, things like that. Um, I remember we house sat for them one time for like six weeks, and we had to write their checks to put into their account, and we'd have to write all, and they instructed us, write, and, and they let us drive their vehicles. They, they had like this beautiful BMW, like the highest level BMW, and I was like, I don't know if I should drive that. And they're like, that's why we have insurance. Go ahead. I broke down while I was driving it. Anyway, um, but, but they were so generous. And you know what we saw as we were writing checks? I, you know what we witnessed was, it was like, oh, wow, okay, so this is how much they're putting in their account. Oh, that's a fair amount of money. And then we'd be writing other checks for like these organizations where they'd be giving money away. And we were like, oh, oh, that's why they are so blessed because they're so generous. They just give it out. They just gave so much away to other things. And here's the deal. You, you sow generously, you will reap. You sow nothing, you will reap. It's just a principle of sowing and reaping. You sow nothing, you'll reap nothing. Fifth, because it's an upside-down kingdom, in order to keep it, you also have to send it ahead. In Matthew 6, Jesus teaches about three ways of creating space for God to reward us. I already mentioned this. When you give, when you pray, and when you fast. Then right after he tells us this, look at what he says in verse 19 and 20. Right after this, he says, Do not lay up or store up, some translations say, for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. What does it say next? But what? Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Here's the thing. It's like we have a Swiss bank account in heaven. We can't take anything with us, but we can send it on ahead, right? You can send it on. And how do you send it on ahead? By giving, by being generous, giving it away. It's an upside-down kingdom. It doesn't make sense. I mean, we all know of people that have left houses and, and money and all kinds of things for kids to fight over, right? Right, because how many of you, how many of you have ever, there's the old saying, you'll never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul, right? When someone dies, how much do they take with them? Nothing, they take nothing with them. You don't take anything with you when you die, but you can send it all ahead. That's what Jesus says. It reminds me of the, the wealthy, stingy man that arrived in heaven to find to his dismay that he'd been assigned this small thatched roof mud hut. And he was furious. I mean, he deserved way better than this. He lived in such nicer things here on earth. And so he began to complain to the angel in charge. And the angel in charge just simply said to him, Sir, the houses in heaven are built with materials that you send us in advance. You choose them ahead by your faithfulness and your generosity or your lack thereof. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. Because finally, number six, ultimately New Testament tithing and giving is just, it's a heart and a worship 
issue. It's not a dollar, it's not a percent issue, it's a heart issue. As Matthew 6, 21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God wants your heart. He doesn't want your money. He doesn't even need your money. But he wants your heart. And here's the thing, nothing, there's nothing new under the sun. Our heart and our money are very entwined, <laughs> right? Where our money and our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Think about it. Think about how you could not care less about something until you begin to invest in it. Maybe a business or stocks or bonds or something. Or maybe, maybe like a sponsor child somewhere in some place in the world. You can care less really about that place before, but then all of a sudden, you know, a hurricane comes through and you're like, oh, I wonder how they're doing. Or a missionary that you begin to support somewhere. Your heart follows where you invest. And God wants you. He doesn't want what you give, but he wants you and they are totally tied together. And so if you want a heart after God, if you want a heart after the things of God, I want to challenge you, invest in the Lord. Your heart will follow. The old preacher D.L. Moody said this, don't show me your journal or your prayer book. Show me your checkbook and I'll tell you where you're at with the Lord. That's kind of, ouch, <laughs> that kind of hurts a bit. Why? Because where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Listen, as we close this morning, listen, God wants your heart and he wants to bless you. And the easiest way for him to have both is for you to give. Do you see that? Do you see how it adds up, how it works? And I want to tell you right now, I'm not trying to get you to give to DPC. We can talk about how, you know, the, there, there could be um, reason for giving to the church you attend, where you're fed, all that stuff. Ignore that. I want to just challenge you to begin to give, to test God in this, to see the faithfulness of God in your life, to open up space for God to bless to take maybe this 21 days of prayer and fasting and add something to it, 21 days of prayer and fasting and giving, and giving, so you can create space for breakthrough in your life. So as we close just with prayer this morning, you know, I just want to encourage you to ask God, Lord, where are you challenging me right now to create space in my finances this year? And some of you, maybe it's going to be commit to tithing. Maybe you're going to commit to tithing to give away 10%. And if you think it's about the church, but me wanting, don't give it to me. Don't give it to the church. I don't know who gives. I don't know who doesn't give. I don't look at any of that stuff. I just leave it in God's hands. And God has blessed this church unbelievably. But maybe God's going to speak to you about that. And it's time to start, you start tithing, start giving. Maybe for the first time, maybe start again. For some of you, maybe God wants to speak to you about supporting a global worker or a sponsor child above your tithes. Maybe some of you, the Holy Spirit's going to lead you to give to a coworker or a friend in need, or a neighbor. I don't know what it is. But as we close, what we're going to do is we're just going to take time to listen right now and to say, Lord, speak to me. I submit myself, I submit my finances to you. You can have every area of my life, including my bank account. Lord, how do you want to use it? It's yours. And so can we take a moment just even right now and just listen for what he would be saying to us today. Jesus, we just allow you to speak in the quietness of this moment, about your finances, about the fears that we may be carrying around them, Lord, that we give them now into your hands, the worries and the concerns. And Jesus, we say, speak. Show us how you would have us steward all of your finances because it's all yours. And so we give you time right now, Jesus. Just speak to us, Lord.
God, if there's maybe a person that you want to drop into our heart or our mind that we need to bless right now, then would you do that? If there's an organization, God, that you're calling us maybe to give towards, would you do that? Drop that in our heart and in our mind right now. Jesus, we, we submit ourselves to you. Father, I, I so badly want to see every person in this room blessed by you with such an abundance that they could just pour it out into other people's lives. Lord, I pray that we would be free of the grip of this world, of the possessions, of the money, of the materialism, the spirit of this age in so many ways that, that just sucks us into further and further debt. Lord, I pray for freedom right now in Jesus' name, that you would help us just to be released of that, God, as we learn to give to you what is already yours, technically. Lord, I pray for those in this room this morning that, God, maybe are living in so much fear around their finances. I pray for freedom right now in that. God, that they would choose instead to live by faith and not by fear, to trust you, to create space to open up an area in their life where, God, you can come and fill and work. And so, Jesus, we, we lay ourselves, which includes all of our money, on the altar. We want to give you the best. The altar was never a place for the worst, for the damaged. It was for the best. And we want to give you all the best of our lives. We offer it to you now, Jesus, and we ask that you would use us, God, to build your kingdom. to be glorified in us and through us. We love you, we thank you, and we bless your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Duncan Pentecostal Church, located here in Duncan, British Columbia, on beautiful Vancouver Island. At DPC, we believe in teaching the whole Bible to build whole believers who can impact the whole world. For more information about us, find us online at www.duncanchurch.com or find us on Facebook and YouTube by searching Duncan Pentecostal Church. Have a great day.